Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And this episode of our podcast is coming to you a day late because of the Labor Day holiday, but we are still in the middle of a sermon series at Melbourne Heights called I Believe, where we're talking about the essential beliefs of our faith, those beliefs that make us as Christians, Christians. So over the last few episodes, we've been talking about what it means for us to believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to put those three things together and talk about what it means for us to believe in the Trinity. And even though the doctrine of the Trinity can be a little bit confusing and convoluted, it really is important to our faith. So let's jump right into this episode's sermon and see what it can teach us about what it means for us to believe in the Trinity. So Sunday after Sunday, we reach a point in our worship service where someone comes onto our stage and begins to preach a sermon. And as they begin preaching this sermon, their sermon has the potential to become one of the best sermons that you have ever heard. Their sermon has the potential to become like one of the sermons that Billy Graham preached at his famed crusades, the kind of sermon that leads someone to begin a relationship with Jesus and changes their life forever. Or their sermon can be like one of the sermons that Fred Craddock preached, the kind of sermon that tells a story that is just so important and impactful that you can't help but reflect on that sermon well after the worship service comes to an end. Their sermon has the potential to be like the kind of sermon uh, that, that can ignite a fire inside of the souls of everyone inside of a congregation, like Tony Campola always seems to do whenever he preaches his It's Friday, but Sunday's coming sermon. But if I'm being completely honest with you this morning, today's sermon probably isn't going to be like any of those sermons. Because the truth of the matter is that the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning is probably going to be closer to the most boring sermon you've ever heard rather than the best sermon you've ever heard. And why is that? Well, during the sermon today, I am going to be using some words that you're far more likely to hear inside the walls of a seminary classroom than you are inside the walls of a sanctuary. And for a lot of us, when we hear these kind of words, we think they're boring. So, it's what you have to look forward to today. Sorry about that, but it's how it goes. So during the sermon today, I'm going to use words like doctrine. And doctrine literally means teaching. Um, but when it comes to the church, I prefer to think of doctrine as being that fine line between theological sanity and insanity. Um, and right there, I just used another one of those words that always makes people's eyes glaze over whenever they hear their preacher say it in church, the word theology. And although theology is appropriately understood to be the study of God, it's not the kind of study of God that is limited to college and seminary classrooms. Rather, theology is what we do whenever we talk about God, whether we're talking about God in a worship service, a Sunday school class, or just as we're out and about in our daily lives. And if using words today like doctrine and theology wasn't bad enough, I'm going to risk making this sermon extra boring by including a little bit of Latin along the way. So I get it. If you want to Latin, yeah, there's one person that's excited about that. <laughs> But I get it. If all of the rest of you want to let out a great big groan before the sermon really even gets started this morning. I understand if those of you that are worshiping with us in person right now, if you regret your decision to get up early on a rainy day and make your way over to this building. And for those of you that are worshiping with us online, I get it. If you regret your decision to click on one of the links to join us for this service. 
But for those of you worshiping with us in person right now, before you hunker down in your chair and try to nod off until I get to something a little bit more interesting today, and for those of you worshiping with us online, before you just close down your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever it is, and move on to something else, let me encourage you to just give this sermon a chance. Because if you do, if you'll bear with me through those boring words, you're going to learn something about one of the most important doctrines of our faith. And that's the doctrine of the Trinity. And yes, the doctrine of the Trinity, it is important to our faith. Our teachings about the Trinity, they matter to our faith. And that's what we're talking about right now at Melbourne Heights. We're talking about those beliefs that matter to our faith, those essential beliefs that make us as Christians, Christians. So just like as a Christian, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, as a Christian, I also believe in the Trinity. I believe in the Trinity. Why don't you say that with me this morning like we've done every week during the series? We'll say it together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I believe in the Trinity. Say it again. I believe in the Trinity. One more time like you really believe it. I believe in the Trinity. But before we dig deeper today into why believing in the Trinity matters for us, I have to start out today by giving you a little bit of a disclaimer above and beyond just warning you it's going to get boring this morning. But the disclaimer that I need to give you today is that the point and the purpose of the sermon is to not help you completely understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Because as a well-known story about one of the most important and influential uh, theologians in the history of the church, a man by the name of St. Augustine, reminds us our ability to understand and comprehend the Trinity, well, it just doesn't exist. So as this story goes, St. Augustine is walking along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, pondering on some particular point about the Trinity that he's working on for a treatise that he's writing. And as he walks along, he notices a small boy who is walking back and forth from the waters of the Mediterranean Sea in a hole that the boy has dug in the sand. And as he goes along, he fills a bucket he has with him up with the water from the Mediterranean, and he brings it back and he pours it into the hole that he's dug. Well, Augustine stands and he watches this boy for a little while, and eventually his curiosity gets the best of him. And he looks at the boy and he says, what are you doing? And the little boy says, I'm trying to fit the sea into the hole that I've dug. Well, Augustine, with the common sense of an adult, looks at the little boy and he says, you can't do that. It just won't fit. Well, this little boy, who turns out to be an angel in disguise, says, neither can you put the mystery of the Trinity in your mind. It just won't fit. Or as Elizabeth Johnson explains it in her book, Quest for the Living God, the first and most basic rule that we all have to remember when we talk about God is that God is an ineffable mystery. God is an ineffable mystery. And that is a fancy way of saying that God is so much greater than we are that we can never hope to fully understand who God is. So I just want to make sure at the beginning of this sermon that you don't expect that over the course of our few minutes together during this sermon that we're going to be able to come to a definitively uh, conclusive arrival on what the Trinity is because this is a, a doctrine that the greatest minds in our faith, theologians, have been debating and discussing for about 1,500 years. 
But I also don't want you to write off the doctrine of the Trinity as being nothing more than a mystery that we're never going to be able to understand. Rather, I want you to see that even though we cannot possibly completely comprehend the doctrine of the Trinity, this doctrine, it still matters to our faith. And if nothing else, we should all be able to find at least a little bit of comfort in the fact that our God is so great that some of the best and brightest minds in the entire history of our world have not been able to fully understand who our God is. So with all of that in mind, let's talk about the Trinity. And the Trinity, at its most basic level, it's the doctrine, uh, it's the way that we attempt to explain the way that God has connected with human beings throughout history. But because God is beyond our ability to fully understand, and because we're not really able to adequately explain and describe God, the doctrine of the Trinity has become pretty convoluted over time. And it's really started centuries ago when theologians tried to separate their study of God into two separate areas. They studied the Trinity pro nobi and the Trinity inse. And yes, those are those boring Latin words that I promised you a little bit earlier on today. But before you return to your regularly scheduled daydream, let me take just a second and explain what those two words really mean. So when theologians separated their conversation and discussion of God into Trinity pro nobi and Trinity in se, what they were doing was dividing their conversations of God into two different areas. One of those areas focused in on how God relates to us, and the other area focuses in on the nature and the essence of God. And when it comes to the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity, most theologians have spent the last few centuries focused in on what the Trinity teaches us about the nature and the essence of God. But the problem with that is that the entire doctrine of the Trinity arises from the way that God related to human beings and the way that we as human beings experience God. Let me take a minute here and further explain exactly what I mean. So Jesus' first followers, the disciples, they had some unique experiences with God they, they struggled to adequately express. And it started with their Jewish heritage. All of the disciples, they grew up Jewish. So they grew up hearing stories from what we call now the Old Testament. So the disciples spent their entire lives hearing stories about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Daniel, Rahab, Ruth, Esther, and on and on and on. And as they heard these stories, they came to know and they came to believe in the God of their ancestors, the God who created the heavens and the earth. But then Jesus arrives on the scene. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, the disciples experience God in a whole new way. God is no longer limited to the stories that the disciples had heard from the Old Testament. God is now a living, breathing person that the disciples are traveling through Israel with. But the disciples, they still can't forget about the God that they first heard of and learned of and came to believe in through the stories of the Old Testament. So they have to find a new way to think and to talk about God. And then things only get further complicated after Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascends to the heavens, and the Holy Spirit shows up to be the living presence of God in our lives and in our world. And when the Holy Spirit first arrives, there is no denying that the disciples have a completely unique and memorable experience of the Holy Spirit. 
We talked about this just last Sunday, but on the day the Spirit arrived, on Pentecost, the disciples were able and empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in languages that they had never spoken in before so that they could share the good news of Jesus with thousands of people that were around them that day in a language that each of those thousands of people could understand. And because they heard the message and the good news of Jesus in a language that they could understand, thousands of people came to faith in Jesus on that day. So the disciples, they have three completely unique experiences with God. They've come to experience the power of the Father through the stories that they've had passed down to them from their ancestors. And just by looking around at the world that they live in, seeing the world that God has created. And they've experienced the personal side of God through their relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, they are able to go deeper and be more personal in their faith. And the disciples, they've also experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. There's no debating or denying the fact that they were able to speak in languages they had never spoken in before. And through that, they led people to faith. So none of these experiences with God could be downplayed. None of these experiences could be denied. So the disciples had to find a new way to think about and to talk about God that made sense of all of their experiences with God. So how could they talk about their experience with God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? How could they talk about their experience with Jesus Christ? How could they talk about their experience with the Holy Spirit? Well, the church's answer to that question has been to talk about God as the Trinity. But the church in general, and us as Christians in particular, we've always struggled to understand how this doctrine of the Trinity actually makes a difference in our lives. So for a lot of us, the doctrine of the Trinity is just a mystery that we're never going to be able to understand, so we don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because it's not going to make a difference to the way that we live out our faith. Or to put it another way for you, we have removed what we believe about God from the way that we practice our faith. We've removed what we believe about God from the way that we practice our faith. And this should go without saying, but when we do this, when we remove what we believe about God from the way that we practice our faith, we're standing on some pretty dangerous ground. It's because what we believe about God is not just limited to what we believe in our heads. It's not just limited to the way that we live our lives. Our faith shapes who we are. So if we think of the doctrine of the Trinity as being nothing more than a mystery that we're never going to be able to wrap our heads around, we miss out on how we can use the doctrine of the Trinity to help us use our hands in the world that we live in to be the presence of God in this world. So. How exactly do we put our faith in the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into action? Well, I think this is something that we get a glimpse of in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in just a minute. We're looking at a passage that comes from Psalm chapter 8, and we'll start reading in verse 1. Here's what Psalm 8 says. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? 
mortals, that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, after hearing this psalm, you might still be a little bit confused about how you can put your faith in the Trinity into action. You might be a little bit confused about why this doctrine matters to us. So let's take another look at Psalm chapter 8 and see what we can really learn from this. So Psalm 8, it opens up with this great and grandiose words and expressions of praise for God when it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the first thing that we need to do as we try to practice and put our faith in the Trinity into action is to praise and celebrate a God who is great and awesome. But since you're here in a worship service with us today, you probably already know that you should worship God. So let's move on to the passage, the part of this passage that stands out to me the most every time that I read it. And we heard it in verse 4 when it said, What are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. That one verse tells us so much about who God is. That one verse reminds us that our God is a great and powerful and awesome God. That one verse helps us to remember that our God is the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That one verse reminds us that our God is a God who is powerful enough to take one lowly person named Abraham and to turn him into the father of many nations. That one little verse is enough to remind us that our God is a God that is powerful enough that he was able to free the people of Israel from 400 years in slavery in Egypt and to return them to the land that God had promised them. That one little verse is enough to remind us that our God is a powerful and a big enough God that he was able to help a little shepherd boy named David to defeat a great mighty warrior giant named Goliath. That one little verse is enough to remind us that our God is powerful enough that he was able to save Daniel from the jaws of the lions. That one little verse is enough to remind us that our God is powerful enough that he was able to save all of the people of Israel through one woman named Esther when she became queen. That one little verse reminds us of how powerful, how great, how awesome our God is. But it does more than just that. It also reminds us that not only is God great and powerful and awesome, but our God also cares about us and loves us. Because this God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them created you because he loves you and he knows that the world needs you. Our God, who allowed Abraham to become the father of great nations, he also cared about all of the struggles that Abraham faced, helping him overcome those struggles so that he could become the father of those great nations. Our God, heard the cries and listened to the cries of the people of Israel as they shouted out while they were enslaved, talking about the abuse and the oppression that they were experiencing in Egypt. And our God loved and cared about them enough that he had to take action on that injustice and make things right. Our God 
loves us so much that he knew David intimately. He understood who David was, and God handpicked David to become Israel's greatest king. Our God is a God who loved Daniel so much that he couldn't help but spare Daniel's life when he was thrown into that lion's den. And our God is a God who is great enough that he knew Esther inside and out and knew that she would be the perfect queen for such a time as she found herself in so that she could save the people of Israel. So our God is a great God. Our God is a powerful God. Our God is an awesome God. And our God is a God that loves and cares about us all. But the most mind-boggling part of this entire passage is when the Psalms tells us in its own words that God has made us a little lower than God, crowned us with glory and honor, and has given us dominion over the work of his hands. Our God is a great and powerful God. Our God is a God who loves us, and our God loves us so much that he wants us to join in his work in this world. We are created in the image of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this triune God that is so intimately connected that you cannot separate the three from the one and the one from the three. And because we're created in the image of this God, we are created to love the world just as God loves the world. We are created to love the world just as God loves the world. So when the psalm tells us that God has given us dominion over his creation, over the works of his hands, it's not telling us that God has given us dominion because we are the superior creation. It's not telling us that God has given us dominion over the work of his hands because we are a powerful creation, and it's only right for us to subdue and subject all of God's creation to our every will and whim as human beings. No, when this psalm tells us that God is giving us dominion over creation, what it's telling us is that God loves us and wants us to join in the work that God is doing in the world around us. What it's telling us is that we are supposed to love the world the same way that God loves the world. But how do we do that? How do we love the world the same way that God loves the world? Well, we do that by better understanding the Trinity. Because when we say that we should love the world the way that God loves the world, what we're saying is that we should love through the heart of the Father. We should love the world through the heart of the Father. The Father is the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you and I. And when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, he looked at everything from the stars to the sun, from the fish to the fowl, from the animals to the apples, and he said that all of creation was good. So when we, if we're going to love the world the way that God loves the world, we have to see everything in the world as good. And this is especially true when we look at our fellow human being, because when God created us as humans, God didn't just say we were good. God said we are very good. So if we're going to love the world and love one another the way that God loves the world and loves each of us, we have to stop seeing one another as our enemies that we're competing against, and we need to see one another as our allies that we are helping along the way. Just like God was there to help Abraham 
become the father of a great nation. Just like God was there to help Moses lead the people of Israel out of slavery. Just like God was there to help David become a great and mighty king. Just like God was there to help Daniel survive the lion's den. Just like God was there to help Esther save the people of Israel. But that's not all. Because when we love the world, or if we're going to love the world the way that God loves the world, we also love through the arms of the Son. We love through the arms of the Son. Because when Jesus came into this world, he showed us the ultimate expression of just how much God loves all of the world and each of us by becoming one of us. When Jesus walked this earth, he experienced every aspect of human life. He was there to be the first one walking beside someone who was lame that he had healed. He was there to bring comfort and to console Mary and Martha after their brother Lazarus had died. He was there to sit around tables and to break meals and to share meals with so many different people because Jesus was here to experience every aspect of our lives. So if we're going to love the world the way that God loves the world, we have to be there in every aspect of each other's lives. We have to be there uh, beside hospital beds and in funeral homes during the worst moments of people's lives. We have to be there around tables sharing meals during those moments that we can't help but celebrate. We are to love the world through the arms of the sun and be present in every aspect of each other's lives. But that's not all. When we say that we're going to love the world the way that God loves the world, we also love through the presence of the Spirit. We love through the presence of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's continued presence at work in our lives and in our world. And the, pre- and the Holy Spirit is presence in our lives and in our world every single moment of every single day. So if we're going to love the world the way that God loves the world, We have to be present in this world every moment of every day, trying to bring the love that we have found through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into the world around us. So are you starting to see this doctrine of the Trinity through a little bit of different eyes this morning? Are you starting to understand that the doctrine of the Trinity is not just about something that we believe in our heads, but it's something that we believe through our hands as we love and serve our world. Are you starting to see that the doctrine of the Trinity, our belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that it matters to us, that it changes us, that it shapes the way that we live our lives and practice our faith? Because it does. The doctrine of the Trinity, when we believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're given a roadmap a blueprint, a guide for us to follow as we try to live out our life and our faith every single day. We're given a roadmap, a blueprint, a guide to help us love through the heart of the Father, the arms of the Son, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So my challenge for you today is to stop thinking about the idea of the Trinity as being a mystery that you're never going to be able to fully understand. And rather see it as a challenge to be God's presence and to share God's love in the world every single day. Because ultimately, that's why we believe in the Trinity. Let's pray together.
God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we're just thankful for the chance that we've had today to reflect on one of the most important doctrines and teachings in the life of the church, what it means for us to believe in the Trinity. God, help us to see that believing in the Trinity is all about our ability to be your presence in this world. Just as you have related to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are supposed to be your arms and your presence and your power in this world. So help us to do that, God. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has helped you better understand what the Trinity means to our faith. Because the doctrine of the Trinity is about so much more than just a mystery that we'll never be able to wrap our minds around. It shows us how we as human beings have experienced God through the love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it encourages us to love the world the same way that God loves us all. Well, in our next episode, we're going to continue to talk about what it means for us to be Christians, the essential beliefs of our faith. Next week, we're specifically going to be talking about what we believe in regards to the church. So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget that you're always invited to come and worship with us online on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at mhbclouisville.com live. We would love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.